Welcome to episode 92 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Dr. Jack Jang. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Dr. Jack Jang. Jack, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate your time after this busy weekend that you've had. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Really excited to be on your podcast today. I appreciate you. Um, I think it, actually this, this is a good place to start. I'm going to give you a second to introduce yourself, but you've moved over the weekend, which is busy. Sleep goes out of the window. If anyone's watching the video version of this podcast, I'm in like a dark room. I'm not in a cave. It's just daylight savings time happened and now it's like getting dark earlier and sleep is affected. And that is something that really affects our overall well-being and especially our testosterone. And I think that's something that I want to come back to, but I want to just kind of leave us hanging with that thought. Jack, tell us a little bit about what you do and, uh, and who you are. Sure. Um, so my name is Dr. Jack Chang. Uh, I'm a physician and also currently the chief medical officer of Hone Health. Hone is a online men clinic uh, focused on treating men with hormonal imbalance like low testosterone. We also more recently are offering uh, solutions in the longevity space. Uh, we're looking at ways to increase health span and lifespan and prevent chronic diseases and also help improve people, uh, energy, uh, levels. Um, so that's a more recent offering that we've been doing. Uh, but we really built our business around, um, treating men with hormonal imbalances like low testosterone. Uh, prior to joining Hone, uh, I went to the Mayo Clinic for medical school, did my residency training in San Francisco, was an intending physician at UCSF. Uh, I actually joined a startup when I was still practicing. Uh, I was doing it part-time as a chief medical officer, and the startup was focused on at-home diagnostics. Uh, that company grew really quickly during COVID. We were actually acquired uh, by Beckman Dickinson at the end of last year. So um, during that transition, uh, I joined the acquiring company and met Saad, who is the CEO and co-founder of Hone, and really got interested in what he was building at Hone. And really excited about um, sort of the more holistic approach uh, Hone was taking to treating uh, men. I think, you know, it's, it's pretty classic for men to not really want to talk about their health or think about their health. And we had a, you know, funny joke at Mayo, which was, you know, located in uh, middle of farmland country, where if a male farmer came in uh, be because their wife forced them to, uh, we didn't really do, need to do any more testing. We can just admit them to the hospital because something serious was going on because <laughs> men really don't like to go to the, see their doctor and farmers are uh, take that to the extreme. <laughs> so um, when I joined Hone, uh, I was really excited to see the community that Hone was building, uh, really trying to destigmatize this topic, um, to have open and frank conversations about things like sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction, um, problems with um, their mood or libido. These are all things that I think a lot of guys don't feel comfortable talking about. And Hone was really working to uh, make this a safe place to talk about and um, to, to think about. It's something that we even see in fitness. There's just generally less males seek the seek to hire a personal trainer because I don't need any help. I can just do it on my own. And then you know we get what we've what we've got right now. But being on the preventative side of things which I think is what Hone is is more trying to, to be in sort of early on, right? When you talk about sexual dysfunction or erectile dysfunction, that may not be the end of the world. It's certainly not a, a death sentence by any means. 
but it could be the beginnings of something else that's happening in a, in a, a lifetime of poor lifestyle decisions. Is that correct to say? Yeah. So I think that's one thing that is really important to get across is that testosterone deficiency, uh, which means that you have low testosterone, you have symptoms of low testosterone, is really a chronic health uh, condition. Um, some of the common symptoms, like you mentioned, are you know problems with getting an erection and maintaining erection and sexual dysfunction. Um, but a lot of studies have shown that men with testosterone deficiency actually have higher uh, all-cause mortality, higher risk of heart attacks and strokes, um, higher risk of obesity and metabolic syndrome, diabetes, um, poor bone health. So this isn't just a, you know, am I performing in a bedroom kind of thing? Do I, am I, you know, putting on muscles in a gym kind of thing? This is a, uh, a serious, uh, you know, me- chronic medical problem um, that if untreated uh, leads to worse outcomes. Uh, so it's it's so much more than just, you know, kind of the surface level, what people think about when they think about someone with low testosterone. Um, there's just been study after study showing that once you treat men with low testosterone, uh, with testosterone deficiency, with um, testosterone therapy, um, their overall health outcomes just really improve. So it's something that we really are trying to get across and trying to talk more about because I, I think it's something that has gone, gone um, under-recognized and underappreciated for a very long time. I totally agree. And I think that in part, the fitness industry and maybe the bodybuilding world has been contributing to this in the sense that steroid use or even just use of regular testosterone has been abused many, many times. But we we fail to differentiate, I think, as a society between the use and the abuse of a substance, right? Like we tolerate the use of alcohol, having a couple glasses of wine, drinks with your friends, like that's okay. The abuse of alcohol is obviously not okay. And, and you know, we, we don't wish that upon anyone, but somehow the, the, for testosterone, it went from like zero to 100. It's either you're not using it or you're just a, you know, juice head, you know, steroid injecting monster and you're just a menace to society. And it's like, well, if you use it correctly, there are beneficial things that will happen. And the stuff that happens in the gym is almost the least exciting of those things. Yeah. And that's a very important distinction. Uh, so hone does not treat men who with normal testosterone levels. Uh, so if you um, are not, cl- do not have a clinical diagnosis of a testosterone deficiency, so you do not have low testosterone or free testosterone, you do not have symptoms of low testosterone. Uh, we don't provide treatment. Uh, there are obviously you know, athletes and like you mentioned, bodybuilders who are still going to gain some, you know, benefits. Um, but in our mind, the benefits that they're gaining don't outweigh the risks of taking testosterone. So not only do we um, choose the patients that we start testosterone therapy and very carefully by following medical guidelines, uh, but once we start it, we also monitor people very closely for the side effects and adverse effects of being on testosterone. Uh, so while there's a lot of health benefits, there are all also going to be risks involved when you're taking a medication like that. So we actually do quarterly lab tests and follow-up visits to monitor people's blood levels very closely to look for signs of where we need to adjust the testosterone dose. Uh, the other important thing is also, you know, anytime you look at uh, a medication, um, the poison is the dose, right? If you give someone too much of something, you're going to increase the risk of having adverse effect, effects of it. Um, so we really want to make sure we provide the right dosage for um, the, the patient for what they need to start feeling better um, and start gaining some of the health benefits, but without giving them too much where they start to have more and more of the side effects. You know, side effects 
from taking too much testosterone could be relatively mild from having, you know, acne, maybe some hair loss, um, to, you know, much more serious where your, your, um, hematocrit or your red blood cell level gets to be a very too high and you have some, um, you know, effects from that. Um, and, uh, I think there's also a risk of having sleeping problems. Uh, sleep apnea can increase when you're on really high dose of testosterone. So there are things that we have to watch and monitor when someone is on testosterone therapy, uh, which is something that hone does uh, really well. Um, and, you know, I think most people who are taking it recreationally for bodybuilding, they're not getting, you know, lab tests every uh, three months to monitor for these things. They're not under a, a careful guidance of a doctor who's looking for um, signs where, Hey, this, this may actually start to become, uh, you know, dangerous and we need to cut back on a dose or, you know, switch things up. That's, this is the main difference between health and performance. I think it's been confused in many aspects, but especially in this where health is, or sorry, performance doesn't necessarily equate to health. A bodybuilder who is already at normal or high levels of testosterone in their body taking more doesn't make them healthier. It may make them perform better in their sport, and that's a, a decision for them to make and kind of a separate issue, but the health benefits of someone who has low levels of testosterone is really what we're talking about and what we're trying to get and, and to make it more mainstream and acceptable. It's not, well, I guess it's not normal to have low testosterone, but it's not, you're not the only one. If Becoming. It is, right. Well, right. That, that's actually a good point because one thing that we've seen in, in more recent studies is just how prevalent this problem is becoming. So yeah. 20 years ago, uh, you know, my dad, when he was my age, had testosterone levels that were probably 20% higher than what mine are today. And, you know, it's natural for your testosterone levels to decrease as you age. That's a totally normal phenomenon. And we typically see numbers like 1% to 1.5% drop per year starting at age 30. But what we, what we haven't seen in the past that's becoming more, much more um, concerning today is a number of young men who are being diagnosed with testosterone deficiency because of low testosterone levels. And it's just something that we're, you know, don't have a complete explanation for. Um, but we've seen this in study after study, and it's really any it could be anywhere as high as 40%, depending on what cutoffs the study is using. But generally it's around the more recent studies have shown around 40% of men age 40 to 45 or older have testosterone deficiency. That's a huge number. I mean, almost half the population of men in this age group uh, are being diagnosed with clinical testosterone deficiency. And that's something that I think we all have to be really aware of because the symptoms that we may start to experience, you may think, oh, this is just me getting older, when in fact, it actually could be a sign or of something that's much more serious that needs to be uh, addressed. And I think jumping to treatment is something that we try not to do as well, right? We like to start people off with lifestyle interventions because you mentioned in the very beginning, sleep. Sleep is a huge part of your testosterone. You can, you can tank someone's testosterone levels by just depriving them of sleep uh, for, you know, a couple of days. I mean, something that I did regularly as a resident working those, you know, uh, <laughs> those 28 hour shifts. Um, but um, sleep, you know, your, um, your diet and how much you exercise. Those are all core components of, um, men's testosterone levels. And for some men, uh, that's what we start with. We say, you know, you're, you're really not doing good in those three domains. Let's start there. Um, weight loss is a big part of it too. Uh, because we know that, you know, uh, fat cells convert testosterone into estrogen. 
So the more fat that you have, the more you're going to convert your testosterone, which reduces your levels into estrogen. Um, so we try to tar target those things first. Uh, but, you know, for some men, they feel so bad because of their low testosterone levels. They can't even think about exercising. I mean, when you're, you can barely get out of bed because you're so tired uh, and you have, you know, brain fog and really poor mood and concentration because of your testosterone deficiency. Um, it's kind of a chicken or egg problem. How do you get this person feeling better and healthier? Sometimes we start with treatment so they can get into a better um a place so they can actually start to do the things that they know they should they need to do um, but sometimes we start with the lifestyle interventions but it's those are all linked very closely uh, with this condition and and why it's so important to to talk about these things is because i think a lot of men just don't even recognize that um, their symptoms are coming from that they think it's just a, a function of old age i apologize to anybody who thought that jack was going to say you don't have to exercise or eat healthy or sleep for a full night's sleep every night and you can just take a magic pill. It turns out that's that's <laughs> that's still not the case. There are things that can help, but like you still got to do those least. things. Not yet, not yet. But uh, you you read my mind by by making that chicken and egg analogy there. I was just about to ask whether there are some cases where testosterone is so low and then that also causes so much weight gain, lack of motivation, lack of discipline, lack of just willingness to get up and make a change that in some of those people where they could make drastic changes by making some quote unquote simple lifestyle changes would starting with treatment be the first option. And I guess this is where kind of the individual approach comes in and in, in an ideal scenario, the patient, you know, gets the lifestyle changes or starts to make these lifestyle changes first, and then you introduce treatment. But in some scenarios, that's just not the best way to approach it. Would that be kind of correct to say? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I, that's why, um, it's not something that we could just have a robot, you know, say you do this, uh, and you know, there's, there's some cookie cutter formula. That's why every patient that we treat starts with a 30 minute, uh, telemedicine consult with one of our, um, affiliated doctors. And they're going through a lot of these things and they're kind of figuring out what's the best, uh, approach for, for personalizing this care to you. And like you said, there are some people who say, hey, let me try these things. Uh, they may even try some over-the-counter supplements that are shown to increase your testosterone levels um, before they go to something like testosterone therapy. Um, and I think that's extremely important because everyone has different goals in life. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, once you start on testosterone therapy, um, you, your body may stop producing what little testosterone it was producing, which um, can also decrease your sperm count. So if you're a, you know, person who's actively trying to conceive with your partner, testosterone therapy, may, uh, re replacement therapy may not be the right option for you. So then we have to think about what are some other ways to help improve your testosterone levels and help you uh, getting feeling better while still maintaining your uh, fertility status. So again, these are all things that you discuss, um, our um, customers discuss with their doctor when they're um, having that 30 minute telemedicine consult. And I think it's also important to remember that people's lives change. So as um, you're making improvements, we're, we're measuring your blood levels uh, in that first year of treatment. We're measuring it every three months. So we can adjust the dosage. And to me, a success story would be someone who can actually even come off of it because they make all the, the necessary lifestyle changes. Um, unfortunately, for a lot of our, our uh, for a lot of men, uh, even with doing everything right, um, they still have this condition. And that's where it's 
less behavioral and less lifestyle related and more related to genetics, uh, possibly environmental uh, factors. You know, we're, we're exposed to much more pollution and chemicals today than we ever were. Um, just think about the amount of plastics that we drink and eat uh, every day. And a lot of those plastics actually resemble estrogen. So our body can't tell the difference. Uh, and for sure, there's going to be an impact uh, with that um, on our hormone levels. And I think you're seeing that more and more. Um, we're seeing um, even at a very young age, um, you know, for example, young girls are um, starting to have their, you know, menstrual cycles earlier and earlier. Uh, and we're seeing people and uh, kids enter into puberty earlier. Again, I do think this is not purely just a, um, you know, genetic thing. I think there is a big environmental component that we're just starting to get our hands around. Assuming that the environment was ideal and someone had their lifestyle factors in check, sleep, exercise, nutrition, etc., what are some of the reasons or conditions that would exist for, for a person that would, again, assuming all these things are in check, they would still have low testosterone? Or is that just extremely unlikely? Um, so I, I would say there are some other causes that uh, other conditions that can lead to low testosterone that we have to um, think about. Uh, so you can have um, a testicular problem. So if your testicles aren't producing um, testosterone, uh, because of, um, you know, trauma, past trauma, or uh, some sort of medical problem. Um, so we'll see that you can also have a problem with the brain, which produces hormones to tell your body to produce more testosterone. Uh, so you can have a pituitary or hypothalamus problem. Um, these are all things that we're screening for in our, um, in our, um, visits with our customers. Um, we do additional lab testing to look for things like that. And sometimes, um, you have to actually go see someone in person to do, uh, you know, advanced imaging, like an MRI of the brain to look for any signs of, um, you know, potentially a tumor or a mass in the brain that's causing uh, your body not to produce um, the hormones um, that leads to low testosterone. So there are some other health conditions that can lead to low testosterone. Um, I would say it's with at least with the customers that we see, it's pretty rare for us to find uh, one of those uh, things that are that are um, causing the low testosterone. Um, more often than not, we don't have a clear answer why this person is suffering from it. Um, and, uh, that's, you know, that's unfortunately just the state of things. I, I think if you look at, um, Saad, our CEO and co-founder, um, his, his story is a perfect example of this. He was 35 when he started having some symptoms of low testosterone. And he's someone who is probably similar to you, very, health conscious, worked out multiple times a week, slept well, uh, really into health and wellness. And um, when he started having these symptoms of low testosterone, he started seeing doctors and it took maybe about six months for him to um, a multiple lab tests, multiple doctors before someone finally told him, you know, your testosterone levels are extremely low for a man your age. Previous doctors kind of told him, hey, this is just old age. Um, but his testosterone level was, I think, 180 which is not normal for a 35 year old. Uh, you know, that's, that's probably normal for someone who's 80, not a, not a 30, not a healthy 35 year old. And Saad Sa was in great shape, was ready doing everything else. Uh, right. Um, so unfortunately for him, he has, um, this condition now he does live in New York city. So, you know, he is probably exposed to more pollution than uh, a lot of other Americans are. Um, but that's the only factor I can really think of that he, that he risk factor he has for low testosterone. 
And unfortunately, as we've, you know, with our patient population, we're seeing this is becoming more and more common. The prevalence of young, healthy men being diagnosed with testosterone deficiency, it just is becoming more and more common. And I think it's something that we really, uh, you know, really need to be aware of because not only you have those symptoms, but you're also um, less, uh, your sperm production goes down when you have low testosterone. So we've seen this trend too, you know, in the last couple of decades where our sperm levels are half of what they were uh, just from our father or grandfather's generation. It's really kind of a scary, uh, scary thing. I think that we're kind of not really spending a lot of time talking about um, makes you wonder what's going to happen with the generation after us um, in terms of fertility levels. Um, yeah, I, so, yeah, no, well said. And it is a scary thing to, to think about. We're always fighting against our environment these days. I've said this several times on, on the podcast, but like my job as a personal trainer exists because of this built environment that we have, you know, hundreds of years ago, people weren't overweight and they didn't have like the inability to do a squat. This was just normal human function. But now we've lost that due to all this built environment. And of course, we've gained lots of good things through that. But there's been some trade offs and obesity is one of them for sure. We have such easy access to very high calorie foods that obesity is massively prevalent. And that's obvious because we can see it and feel it and it's tangible. But the testosterone issue is not nearly as tangible. And like we started this podcast by talking about, it's kept quiet by a lot of people. We, 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 we might notice some things are off and you're told by your doctor that, yeah, it's just old age. But 35 is not old. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be an old man. By, with all modern medicine and longevity science, like we, should be, we should be living to 100. I don't think that that's a crazy thing to say. Um, but it's, it's unfortunate because it's, it's not really seen. One thing that I did want to ask you about with the the risk factors is are is there any evidence suggesting that head injuries, concussions lead to disturbances in testosterone production? Because that's something that I've heard about, never seen like conclusive evidence. But you know, I live in Canada, lots of hockey players, football players in, in the U.S. and whatnot, young kids having these you know mildly traumatic head injuries. Does that lead to something more sinister later on in the testosterone department? Um, so I'm not personally aware of any studies that looked at sports injuries linking to low testosterone, but there have been some studies looking at um, active duty or veterans who have served the military, who've been exposed to head trauma from um, combat. And um, there, ha there is evidence that uh, the, the trauma they, they suffered um, can lead to lower levels of testosterone. Now, it's hard to isolate it to only that event because you can also say our veterans um, and our active duty um, service people also have a lot of other factors like chronic stress from, you know, being in a combat zone, poor sleep, um, you know, their diet's not optimal as well. Um, those are also things that could lead to low testosterone. So it's hard to say it's, you know, it's, you know, you can't really do a randomized controlled trial to, to, to show that. But I think from a um, biological standpoint, you can, it's not hard to imagine how um, injury to, you know, to the brain, to the pituitary gland could lead to problems uh, downstream, uh, including low testosterone. Um, so I, I think that um, while it's not something that's been, you know, that I'm aware of that's been shown in a, in a study, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if people who have suffered multiple head traumas um, from playing sports uh, can be affected. Right. So, so it sounds like to me that trying to get down to the nitty gritty 
of what is causing this widespread low testosterone or to an individual who's listening, like what is causing your low testosterone is almost, assuming you've got your, like your lifestyle factors in check, your, your sleep, your exercise, your nutrition, it's almost useless because we can't, you're not going to change your entire environment unless you want to just buy a house in the mountains and like go live on your own and have, you know, erase all the trauma from your childhood. But aside from that, we can't really isolate it. So it's almost a useless endeavor. And so the only thing next to look to is, well, how do I fix this and how do I make it better? Does, is that fair to say, or is that, am I being a little bit too extreme? No, I mean, I, 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 that's kind of how I, I view it. You know, when sometimes, uh, you know, people ask like, why is this happening to me? And I think it's just like any other health, chronic health issue is there are obviously going to be some, you know, environmental and lifestyle related reasons for having these things and putting at risk for having it. But a lot of times you, you know, it's, it could just be bad luck, uh, you know, and you happen to draw the, um, you know, the, the card that led to having this problem. And, and rather than focusing on that, we focus on how do we get you starting to feel better? How do we get you um, to becoming, uh, having a healthy, um, normal physiologic level of testosterone? So you can get back to doing what you want to do, you know, wh- whether it's being, uh, you know, a, a husband or a, a father. Um, I, I, it's wild how many of our patients I've talked to who've just the stories they tell about how they just were not being uh, a good husband or father or partner, um, how this low testosterone has impacted every aspect of their life. And since they started treatment, they've been able to get back to just being um, who they needed, who they were and uh, being the person that their family, um, you know, rely, rely upon and, and has, you know, basically been waiting for. I mean, it's actually kind of, kind of sad, but a lot of our, customers come to us because of their partner saying, you need to go get this checked out because you're not who you are. You're, you know, something's not working right. And it's kind of like that story I told you at the beginning about the, the farmer, the male farmer that comes in, they often come in not because of, you know, their choosing, they're, they're coming in because their, their wife or partner is telling them they better go in. And, um, and, and so that's not uncommon uh, to see that with our patient population too, is oftentimes it's, it's their family members saying, Hey, something's not right you need to get this checked out. Um, and then they come to us and they do the blood tests and they see the doctor and they're diagnosed. Um, and a lot of them tell, you know, it's, sometimes it's a kind of a gradual thing, right? So you, you're not, it's not like you wake up one morning and you have all the, you know, the symptoms of low testosterone. It's often a gradual process as your levels drop, as you age. And um, people don't realize how bad they were feeling until they start feeling normal again. Um, and that's, that's, I think what's, what I love about, um, what Hone is doing is that we've had so many success stories of people who've been able to really just get back to being who they are and feeling their best that that is just so, so great. And, and I think as a doctor, we're so used to treating people, um, especially people at their end of their lives. Um, we spend a ton of resources on, um, you know, helping people live a couple more days, a couple more weeks. Uh, and we spend so many, so much of our healthcare dollars there and we don't spend enough on people when they're, um, you know, in the prime of their life in their thirties and forties and fifties, like feeling their best and being their best. Um, and again, I, I do think because of all the downstream consequences of low testosterone, um, by treating people earlier, uh, and, and addressing this hormonal issue earlier, um, we're going to see a lot of benefits downstream because um, um, people who are treated just have way better health outcomes. You know, so we mentioned some of the things like bone health, metabolic health, um, 
it's it just there's the, the amount of data is showing that uh, the benefits that come with it. Um, I just think that we're we're, we're we haven't um, spent enough uh, of our healthcare dollars where it really needs to be, which is which is um, now uh, for you know before people develop uh, all these chronic medical problems. It's a huge trickle down effect. I think an easy one just to pinpoint is if supplementing or using testosterone therapy rid the world or rid men of diabetes to a high degree, then that would be huge savings in the medical care system. And obviously very different here in Canada than than in the US. But if we helped people just manage their weight and maintain a little bit more muscle mass and that led to the a massive, you know, ninety nine percent increase in diabetes, and I'm not saying that it's that drastic, but let's just imagine that it did, then what would the healthcare cost savings of that be to the entire system? It would be astronomical, right? For something that is pretty simple and is going to lead to a whole host of other health benefits that are not tangible and not countable by public healthcare spending, like being a better partner, being a better father, you know, being able to show up in your business and your community and all of these things. So thinking about this more holistically is certainly something that I agree with that we need to do and not just about, okay, well, the, you know, the cost of seeing the doctor is this much and the cost per month for your testosterone medication is this much. It's like, well, yeah, but what about the cost of you being sick for the next 60 years of your life? Like that's not something to just forget about and pretend it doesn't exist, whether it's coming out of your pocket or it's coming out of the government's pocket, like, which is basically your pocket for people who don't make that connection. (laughs) It's still you're still paying somehow, so you might as well you might as well do the thing that's going to make you feel better. One thing that I wanted to exactly, kind of... and and that's that's I was going to say um, one one thing. This is why we're so excited about some of the other things that we're working on uh, with longevity. Um, so we're we're starting now to um, look at what are some of the scientifically backed um, therapeutics that have been shown to improve health span and lifespan. And so these are things like low dose metformin. Uh, NAD plus, glutathione, uh, vitamin B12. These are all things that have um, solid evidence uh, of showing benefits to people's longevity, um, which we think is very exciting. And there's also, I think, going to be the next five, 10 years, given the the amount of interest in this space, more and more therapeutic options uh, to improve longevity. And I'm very excited about that. A lot, basically to a lot of what you were talking about, which is what are the downstream benefits uh, on um, our healthcare system, on our you know, government spending um, and, and delaying the onset of uh, you know, chronic diseases, helping people live longer and stay productive members of society longer. Um, if you think about just how much um, uh, time and resource are spent on uh, taking care of elderly people, um, I think about my grandparents who my parents are now taking care of. Um, if they could just live a few more years of healthy life without needing, you know, around the clock care, um, that not only allows them to do what, you know, what they, they love to do, but also, um, for their family members to be able to continue working and doing things that they love as well. Um, so there are just so many downstream benefits, which is why I'm, I'm very excited. Um, testosterone is, is a great example of this. Um, but there are other, uh, um, op, you know, therapeutics out there that have, um, you know, high efficacy uh, data showing uh, like metformin, I think is a great example. Um, and I'm really excited about the amount of investment that's going into the space. Um, I was recently at a um, longevity conference and there are just so many really smart 
um, scientists who are studying this, working on different um, small uh, molecules that um, have been shown in preclinical studies to have these benefits and now they're now moving into larger clinical studies. Um, you know, I wish, I wish we would spend more money on, um, on this area uh, rather than spending so much money on treating people um, only when they're sick. Uh, I think that, you know, as a doctor, we're so used to seeing, um, you know, providing care for, for, for disease rather than keeping people healthy and preventing them from developing disease in the first place. Um, so this is, this is an area of what we're working on at home that I'm, I'm extremely excited about. It's a shift of the entire medical system working towards prevention and away from a, a sole focus on healing after the fact, right? Of course, you, you, there's still going to be things that happen. You're still going to break your arm. You can't just, you know, prevent preventative yourself away from <laughs> from breaking your arm. That's going to happen. We still need those things. There's going to be crazy accidents and illnesses and you know diseases and stuff that comes up. We still need that. But working on the prevention side of things. I've been saying for for a while as well. It's like this is where this is where we need to be spending resources and shifting the paradigm. The other side of it is that it does take some work from from the person. Doctors and the system, quote unquote, is not going to seek you out and tell you that hey, you need to be doing X, Y, and Z, and maybe you should get these things tested and maybe consider take this, that, and the other thing. It it you do currently have to be, take the onus on yourself to like go and seek out this help. So. On that note, what are some of the things that people should be looking out for to then go ask their doctor to get certain tests? And just to you know, go back a second for what you said earlier is that this is not a you wake up and all of a sudden you're feeling bad. It's a gradual onset to this. So it's not going to be that obvious to be like, okay, I woke up and I have a stuffy nose today. It must mean I have X. It's not like that. So what are the things that people should be looking out for and then go ask their doctor about? Yeah, so I, I there's obviously the classic symptoms of testosterone deficiency or low testosterone that um, people should be aware of. So these are things like erectile dysfunction, low libido, uh, poor mood and concentration. Um, people may be noticing that they're putting on more abdominal fat uh, and less muscle and um, maybe have poor sleep. Um, there can also, uh, in some cases, people can actually develop depression, uh, from it that improves once you start treating them. Um, those are kind of the more common, uh, symptoms of, uh, low testosterone. Um, but, you know, I tell people, uh, that even if you're feeling great, there's no reason why you can't get tested and to know what mm -hmm. level that you're at. Uh, because once you start feeling bad, then you kind of know what's a good target for you because everyone has a different optimal level of what their testosterone should be. So for, you know, for maybe me, maybe, you know, a testosterone level 500, which might be low for some people is actually perfectly fine for, for my physiologic, um, you know, ne uh, need for, uh, for testosterone. Um, your, your androgen receptors are going to be different, uh, in terms of its sensitivity. Uh, but you know, 500 for you might be just too low and maybe you need an 800 level to, to really feel, uh, to feel at your best. Um, so there's no reason why you can't get tested on a regular basis. Uh, I think it is something that I wish was part of our regular annual physical screening tests that people do. Um, because I think it's something that, um, is underappreciated and underrecognized now. Um, but for sure, if you're having those symptoms that I mentioned earlier, uh, those are all 
reasons why you should go and, and get get this evaluated. Um, but even if you're feeling well, there's no reason not to test. Right. And when you do, what are the tests that you should be asking your doctor for? It's it's very different here in Canada. Like I've had my testosterone levels and stuff checked like once a while ago, but I, I basically had to lie to my doctor in order to get him to like allow me to pay for the tests to take them. It was like a whole ordeal and I was like, whatever, but but what are the things that you should, like, don't do that, you know, don't take my advice, blah, blah, but, <laughs> but what are the things that you should be asking for? Yeah, so I think um, uh, one thing to recognize is that uh, testosterone exists in two forms in your body. So you have your, your bound testosterone and your free testosterone. The free testosterone is actually what your body's using, your cells are using. Uh, um, and then the bound testosterone is bound to different um, proteins like albumin or um, SHBG, uh, sex hormone binding globulin. This is what um, your body uses to transport testosterone from one area to another. So um, you have to uh, measure both in order to get a, a good um, idea of your testosterone status. Because some people can actually have a you know relatively normal or low low normal testosterone, total testosterone, um, but their free testosterone is very low because. Uh, maybe their SHBG is is elevated, and they're still going to have the symptoms of low testosterone um, in those situations. The other thing that we check as part of our screen, uh, our initial test is um, estrogen or estradiol, uh, which is a form of estrogen, um, because oftentimes we see that um, uh, some men, especially men with um, you know excess uh, adipose tissue or you know they're overweight. They're converting a lot of their existing testosterone to estrogen, and so they're going to have some symptoms of um, too much estrogen, like you know, um, uh, gynecomastia, or uh, I think people call it man boobs. Um, they might have sensitive nipples. Um, these are some signs of having too much estrogen, and too much estrogen on its own can also cause uh, you know some of the sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction issues too. Um, it's not to say that you don't want to have any estrogen. You actually want to have, you need estrogen to function, right? Men don't need as much as women do, but we still need estrogen. So for things like our sexual health, our bone health, you need a certain level of estrogen to function, which is why we check it uh, at the initial test. And also each time we're doing the follow-up labs, we also check it. Um, and there are ways to reduce estrogen on its own. Uh, you know, you can use a, what we call the aromatase inhibitors, um, like uh, Nashrazole, for example, um, which is something that we commonly prescribe, our, our doctors that we work with commonly prescribe to our customers uh, to help lower um, people with excess estrogen levels down to a, to a healthy level. Um, the, so we, we also do some other tests at the beginning just to also screen for, as I mentioned, reasons why you may have low testosterone. That's not, um, not something that we necessarily, uh, or there are things that we may want to address before um, so a great example is a pituitary tumor, which can cause you to have low testosterone. So once that tumor is removed, then your testosterone level should recover. So there's really, you know, you shouldn't necessarily start treatment in those, in those patients. They should really be referred to a specialist to have that tumor, um, evaluated and, and taken care of. So we're, we're going to be measuring things that, um, that could be an indicator that that is what's happening. We also check liver function tests to make sure that the liver is healthy because, um, you know, the medications that we prescribe are metabolized in the liver and we don't want, um, you know, to pe put people at risk if they're, um, you know, if they have some liver disease that's, uh, that's been undiagnosed or 
they're not aware of. Um, so these are a number of other um, biomarkers that we're checking with our tests. But I would say the big ones for hormonal health are the estrogen and, and testosterone levels. Um, something that we're not currently testing, but we're working on adding to our panels in the future are, you know, thyroid panels, um, because oftentimes that has overlapping symptoms when people have a underactive thyroid. Um, they may have the symptoms of fatigue and low energy um, and poor concentration. So um, those are, uh, you know, biomarkers that I think people should also consider if they're having those kind of symptoms. Um, and it's something that we're working on offering in our panel, future panels as well. And so someone who is a patient of Hone like can you know, sign up or contact the company and you will order those tests. Is that how it would work? I, I assume that it's not available to Canadians, but if you're in the US, you can contact Hone. Hone will order those tests for you so you don't have to remember all of those things that you just mentioned. That's right. Yeah, we, we are... Um... We service 35 states in the U.S., so not not all 50 states. Some states we, we don't currently serve because of um, you know telemedicine rules and regulation. Um, but we're working to um, expand to every state that we can. But right now we're we're um, currently available in 35 states, and uh, patients basically come to us and say, "Hey, I'm having these symptoms of testosterone of low testosterone," and our doctor can um, order them a uh, an at home test. Uh, so it's a finger prick blood test. Um, we're also working on offering that initial test to be done at LabCorp. Um, and you can get tested that way to start the process. And then once the results are back, schedule a telemedicine consult with one of uh, our affiliated doctors uh, to review those results and talk about what the next steps are. And again, not everybody that tests with us actually have low testosterone. And we can see that in the lab value. So the doctors are um, also evaluating them for other reasons for their symptoms. Um, and, you know, sometimes we may actually have to refer patients back to an endocrinologist or urologist. Uh, but generally, I, I would say that um, a lot of the uh, people that come to us that um, are diagnosed with testosterone deficiency, we are able to safely treat them uh, using telemedicine. And we don't necessarily have to um, see them in person and to be able to do a physical exam, um, which is what I think one of the exciting things about making this type of care more accessible. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, prior to COVID, um, people would probably, you know, have some experience with telemedicine in the U.S., but it was much more limited, uh, more to, you know, maybe someone that has a sore throat or, you know, an upper respiratory infection or UTI or something. Uh, but now, um, since COVID um, started, a lot more people um, have considered using telemedicine, and we've been able to start to treat really, um, you know, chronic diseases like testosterone deficiency effectively, uh, virtually being able to test them, uh, from home, uh, or have, you know, refer them to a lab core in their area, um, being able to see them for the scheduled consults, um, in our case, you know, every three months, um, being able to adjust their medications and have the medication shipped directly to their home. Uh, these are all things that make this type of care much more accessible. And, um, I love it when uh, I talk to, uh, one of our customers who, happens to live in a, an area which they don't have access to medical services very easily. Um, they live in a very rural part of the country and it's a two hour drive for them to see their doctor or to get a lab draw. And so what we provide to them is just something that is so much more convenient and accessible. And we do it at a price point that is, uh, that's much more affordable for a lot of people too. Um, right now we're currently cash pay. Uh, so we're not, you know, working with insurance companies, but, um, we're actually in, in the process of, um, 
working with insurance in a couple states. And if that goes well, then we would be able to start expanding to accept insurance in all states that we serve. And I think that would be really exciting because when we can even bring the cost of care even even further down. Um, it's but, always, I mean, it's it's one of those. Yeah, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say it's always disappointing when like finances get in the way of medicine, which is just this is just the way the world works, and like it, it's part of how things go. But like getting insurance companies on board with the fact that this is a viable and very helpful treatment, preventative treatment form is actually a huge difference maker. And like, it sucks that the world is that way because like money has to trade hands for things to happen. But once, once those insurance companies get on board, then that opens it up to so many more people. And this whole holistic approach of all of the things that, that you guys are testing for really just speaks to how complex of an issue, the low testosterone issue is that it's not very simple. And there's so many things that could be leading to this and causing this and it's not really clear as to why or how or when or who it's it's just all over the place and so there's so many things to to check but i was just going to say it's it's disappointing that like money always gets in the way but like this is just a reality of of life and the way the world works yeah i would say that's one of the most frustrating things about you know practicing medicine is is how much uh the finances and the economics of something matter and you know obviously we're not providing charity care here. Like we, we have to be able to, you know, pay our doctors and our staff and uh, pay for the medication, those kind of things. But, um, it just, it really kills me every time when someone uh, foregoes getting something that we know um, they need and it's going to help them because of finances. Um, and I think, um, the one thing about, um, testosterone therapy at least is that we know the downstream effects are so beneficial um, that while there may be some upfront costs for treating low testosterone, um, because of the downstream effects, uh, it's, it's a net positive in the end. So not only are you helping someone feel better and, um, helping them have better health, but even from an economics uh, standpoint, uh, there's going to be benefits at the end. And, um, I, I do think that, um, you know, at, at least in the U S I do think that insurance companies are thinking more and more about the you know, long-term uh, economics of, of treatment. That's why there's been more focus on preventive care, on primary care. Uh, that's why you're starting to see more value-based care. And I think those are all, you know, heading the right direction. You know, having been, you know, working in a healthcare space for a while now, um, it's like turning a big ship. It just, you know, it takes time to make any, um, you know, changes. And I think uh, a lot of, you know, patients and doctors, you know, they're, they're not paid, you know, it's, it's, uh, sometimes feels like, you know, things just aren't moving fast enough. Um, but you're starting to see those kind of, uh, signs of those things that are starting to come into play. And, and I'm very optimistic that, uh, in the future, um, treatments like what we're providing at home, uh, are going to be things that are going to be, uh, covered. Um, and I think it, you know, it's, it's going to open it up to so many more people that, that really need this type of care. Um, and right now, even though we're cash pay, we're still a very affordable option. We have a lot of people who are, you know, um, not necessarily people you would, you know, you would think just has a bunch of money to throw away on, on something like this, but because of how much of a benefit they see, this is something they actually prioritize. Um, you know, and, and this is something that they know that has such a benefit on all aspects of their, of their lives that it's worth putting that money towards. Um, so we obviously have to do our part and try to work on bringing the cost down and working with insurance companies to bring the cost down. Um, but, um, it's still really, you know, you know I think, um, a, a service that, uh, is, is more affordable than, 
um, you know, a lot of other things that we, you know, that, you know, are part of the healthcare system today because we're doing a lot of things virtually and not have the same kind of overhead of maintaining, you know, brick and mortar practices. It's that whole cost accounting approach again, right? When you when you add everything up and the the potential things that you are saving down the line, like spending a little bit now does go a long way. I think another advantage of the telemedicine thing is again going back to your farmer example that it's a lot lower barrier to actually seek help. You're logging into a video chat of some sort rather than going out into a into a doctor's office where, you know, the, the fear of some neighbor might see you and like what people are going to say. And while that's completely wrong, but like, that's a real thought that people have. So I think that telemedicine aspect is, well, a, is a great, is a great avenue for this, for this, uh, for this type of treatment. hundred percent. And, and, you know, during COVID too, you don't, you didn't want to leave your house cause you, you didn't, you weren't sure if you're going to get infected and get sick from, you know, from the, you know, from the disease. And so there's that aspect to it. I think it's just one thing that is underappreciated by uh, it was by me for, uh, as a doctor was um, the amount of you know, logistics for someone to get to a doctor's appointment. Hmm. You know, they have to, you know, potentially take time off work, find childcare. Uh, if they don't have a reliable means of transportation, maybe take multiple buses to even get there. I mean, there's just so many things that contribute to um, getting care, uh, in-person care that telemedicine addresses. And I just didn't really appreciate that as a practicing doctor. For me, it was just like, oh, this patient's late. Like, what's, you know, what's going on, right? It's like, it's inconvenient for my schedule. I'm trying to see all, all, all my patients in a row and this person's late. But I'm not appreciating that, hey, maybe this person's babysitter canceled on them. Their bus uh, was delayed, you know, their train, you know, whatever it is, right? That impacts their ability to even get there in the first place. And oftentimes it's, it's our um, most, uh, you know, um, at risk population, the ones who are coming from lower socioeconomic status that um, have the, that these affect the most. And, um, and that's why I think virtual care is something that is really so incredible because um, we're able to work around their schedules much better. Um, you know, as a doctor, you know, most people have that experience of, you know, getting there on time and waiting an hour in a waiting room because their doctor's late. Well, it's much easier to wait around in your home when you have, you know, you know, everything with, you know, uh, all, all your stuff, your toys around you, um, then it's the way in a waiting room where, you know, you have bad music and, and some <laughs> magazines. Um, <laughs> and so, and, and the other thing uh, I, I really love about telemedicine is that um, you're able to actually see people in their, um, in their normal state because they're in their home. You're able to, um, you know, say, hey, show me your fridge. What's in your fridge? Let me see what kind of food you have in your pantry. Um, you're able to meet their loved ones. You're able to meet their pets. You know, you just get to see so, so much more of a, a person's life than having them in a gown sitting on your exam table, uh, which is a very uh, unusual state to be in. And so we talk about, um, you know, people who have what we call white coat syndrome because their blood pressure is elevated when it comes to the doctor. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where I, I feel like the more I can get the patient closer to what they're like in their everyday lives, the better, the, the more accurate of a picture I'm getting uh, of, of their health. And, um, and so I, I really do think telemedicine is, is really, you know, you know, uh, a wonderful um, technological advancement. Um, you know, there's always limitations to everything that we do. So, you know, I can't do a physical exam the same way I could uh, if you were sitting in front of me. Um, so, you know, there are going to be times where I have to refer people out to, have that prostate exam performed, uh, you know, or have that physical exam performed. Um, but you know, for, I don't know what the exact percentage, but maybe 80% of what, uh, what we're doing, 
we're fine with doing everything virtually, right? And it's only that those that small percentage that needs um, the in-person kind of uh, care. And um, not every specialty is going to obviously be able to do things virtually. You know, I was a practicing anesthesiologist prior to joining Hone. You know, I can't deliver anesthesia care, you know, through a, <laughs> through a Zoom call, uh, um, nor would I want to try to do that. But you know, a lot of specialties, even, even my surgical colleagues during COVID there, they had never done telemedicine before, but they told me, well, during COVID, I kind of had to, and yeah, so I still had to see people, you know, in, in my clinic to remove the stitches and, you know, examine the wound, but I was able to replace a lot of the follow-up visits where maybe it was just a five minute check-in to see, Hey, how are you doing? You know, like, you know, how are you, how are you, you know, just a quick check-in and, and for, for some of their patients who have to travel hours for that five minute visit it's so much more convenient for them to just do it virtually. So even practice, even specialties like surgery are starting to realize that, Hey, virtual medicine is a great complement to what I do. Uh, so that's an area that, um, you know, hone obviously built, um, our practice and our model from, you know, around virtual medicine and we wouldn't be able to exist without it. Um, but it's also exciting to see that even, um, more traditional healthcare systems, uh, like the academic hospitals I used to work at are starting to really embrace and adopt telemedicine. And, and I think that's better for, uh, for, you know, for the patients, which is the most important thing, but also, you know, for doctors, they're able to, um, like I said, gain some benefits from seeing people in their natural habitat. Yeah. And I think the other side of it, just to be very real is it keeps some costs down and keeps efficiency a little bit higher less time between patients, don't have to clean the room, don't need as many rooms. So there's less costs and therefore those costs can be allocated to patients and treatment and research and whatever other things that the healthcare system needs to needs to spend on. I have a, a question for you that I'm okay if you don't answer it, but this is coming from the conspiracy theory side of my brain. Have you guys or have you experienced any pushback from insurance companies, from uh pharmaceutical companies, manufacturing companies in the sense that, okay, if everyone, you know, if everyone started using this therapy, there'd be all this downstream positive effect. And therefore people would be not using other medications or accessing other services that generate millions and billions of dollars. Is that something that you've experienced? Is that something that you anticipate experiencing or feel free to leave that one alone? (laughs) I have not experienced it. And to be honest, I have a hard time imagining um, that we can coordinate something that effective, you know, uh, where um, there's enough people involved that they can actually uh, manage to successfully pull something like that off. The truth is most, most companies and politicians and, you know, governments are, they're just trying to keep the lights on most of the time. It's (laughs) these kind of grand, you know, master plan things I think are, uh, you know, to me, m- m- very unlikely to have and seen how you know complicated it is to even you know do the basic tasks, right? But I, <laughs> I would say I haven't seen this personally. Um, I, I think most people that work in healthcare uh, are people that care about helping people, uh, you know, feel better, you know, be better. And of course, there's always going to be some examples against that. But by and far, I, I would say people that I meet that work in healthcare, they care about helping people, and that's the reason they chose to go into healthcare. Uh, you don't go into healthcare if you want to become rich because uh, it, it's not that's not the the path to become rich, right? And and so I, I think it's just yeah, very um, to me very unlikely that you're going to have some kind of grand conspiracy, um, you know, someone who's masterminding this um, uh, this kind of thing. I think 
most of the time the, the resistance we hit is probably just more from sort of inertia and this is how things have been done for so long and you know changing is always hard and i think um, that's really the biggest barrier that we hit is often just ha- having helping people recognize um that hey things have changed the prevalence of this condition has increased dramatically in the last you know couple decades and we need to really start to invest some resource into it and so it's just going to take some time to get there uh, at my previous startup um, we were working on chronic kidney disease and that was another one where a lot of insurance companies were like hey this is great if we can make you know screening and testing for it uh, more accessible but you know we're we're not really the ones paying for dialysis care because that's usually you know when you're when patients are older and they're already on medicare so the government's paying for that we're not really the ones paying for it so we don't really know if we want to pay for you know tests now that may prevent people going dialysis later because this is cost to us today um and so we did encounter some of that kind of thinking where they looked at the numbers and said it just didn't make sense but um even there um because there were some uh, changes with quality metrics and um, how insurance companies are evaluated. Um, uh, within just a few years, insurance companies executives are telling us that, um, hey, I know we told you before that we weren't interested in paying for this. Well, we are now because now, you know, these quality metrics are tied to our ability to to you know pr- you know do the type of chronic kidney disease screening uh, that you guys are pushing for, and that you're gonna your tests will make more accessible. Um, and so. Again, maybe sometimes it does take a little kick in the butt, but to me, the biggest barrier for us has really just been the inertia of, you know, how things have been done and always been done and, um, and not really recognizing that things change over time and, you know, conditions like testosterone deficiency has only continued to go up, uh, over the last couple of decades. And, um, and we need to really recognize that because of all the downstream effects. Yeah. Good to, good to hear. Kind of the answer that I expected uh, and was hoping for. But uh, but I'm happy to hear you know you hear you hear crazy things and uh, you know with with the kidney example like I I understand that as well from that insurance company's point of view if they're being asked to invest a significant amount of money in a company that doesn't give them any financial like kickback or any gain then if they cease to exist then they can no longer provide their helpful service to everybody else so like again it's just this this sad reality of the way things are and everyone can't just pay for everything and get nothing in return. Like it's not, it's just impossible. But, um, but yeah, we, we, you know, I think that most people are in this to help people. It, like you said, medicine, fitness, not the industry to go into if you want to get rich. Sure. There's lots of money to be made, but there are easier ways to make money than telling people to stop eating cookies and go to the gym and work out a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah. But I, I think ultimately what it comes down to is that the best advocate for your health is yourself. Right. So educating yourself, uh, listening to podcasts like yours to, to um, gain um, the kind of awareness and knowledge um, so you can start to, to really be your best advocate. I actually think that's the most important takeaway. Um, and that's something that, um, yeah, I, I, I think the Internet has really revolutionized. It's just access to information and people can go on and, and, and find that kind of information and talk to others in similar situations. So one of the things that we do at home is we actually have a pretty robust community. So our um, current customers, actually, they post about their own experiences and they're often a better uh, resource for um, new customers than, than, than I am. Because th- to be honest, I've actually never taken testosterone. So I've never gone through that experience of injecting myself once or twice a week and what are the things that come along with that? You know, like I'm maybe I'm scared of needles and it's really great to see someone who's 
maybe uh you know a hone customer who's been with hone for a couple of years say hey yeah don't worry like this is how i pinch my you know my skin when i'm doing the injection and um this is what you should you know expect and you know as a doctor we can talk about these things but um sometimes hearing it from someone who's gone through the exact same you know gone through that experience it's just so much more powerful um it's actually one of the things um that i love about our company is that um not only is Saad, our CEO and co-founder, a patient, um, but quite a few of our executives actually are also people who are on testosterone replacement therapy. And they all have different, their own stories, their own journeys of how they were diagnosed and how, how they started treatment. But they, um, you know, these are the leaders of our company. And so they know the, you know, the customer's pain point really, really well because they, they are customers. So they know how hard it is sometimes to just get you know, needles that they, that they like and, you know, and, and what do they do when they're traveling overseas and you need to bring a stash of, you know, needles and medications. So like they know these things because they live it. And um, that's something that I, I really um, uh, love about working at home is being able to work with um, people who are patients themselves. And uh, again, one thing that I think uh, that, you know, I, I can't, stress enough is just being the best advocate for your own health because no one's going to care about your health as much as you. I promise you that. And, uh, so, um, I think, you know, people like yourself doing such a great service, getting the kind of, you know, awareness out there and knowledge out there, uh, so people can, um, can take the appropriate steps. Um, and I think a lot of those things will follow because again, with testosterone, um, treating testosterone deficiency, it's, it's a net benefit. There's just so many downstream benefits that come with it. Um, that it's, it's really a no brainer to me, uh, for us to be, you know, screening and diagnosing uh, people with this condition and treating them uh, when it's appropriate, because there's just so many benefits that come with it. Totally agree that everyone has to be the, is, or is the best, biggest advocate of their own health. Because like you said, nobody will ever care about your health more than you do. I, something I say, like with my clients in the gym is like, okay, well, you know, for a stretch, this is actually a good example of like, okay, get into this position, like do this, pull that stretch, and then find the position that feels good to you because you can feel yourself better than I can see what's happening in your body. And the same is true for these things. So, you know, someone else might see that you look a little bit tired or look a little bit down or whatever the case is, but you can feel what's happening to you better than anyone else can see what's happening to you. So you have to stand up for yourself and and be the big, biggest advocate. And I think the access to information online through this podcast and through every other channel is good. Also comes with some downsides of like poor information and, and conflicting information, obviously, but this is where just critical thinking comes in. And, you know, you have these different pieces of information and then go to someone who you trust, your doctor or whoever, and ask the question because you're allowed to ask the question and challenge people. I encourage people to challenge me. If I say something that's like, oh, this guy's off his rocker, challenge me and I'll give a justification and maybe I'm wrong. But you know, you have to be the advocate for yourself. Don't just take what I say because I said it. I don't know everything and neither does anybody else. So you've got to really stand up for yourself. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many of our patients who have spent uh, months to years, multiple you know, see multiple doctors before finally um, coming to hone and seeing one of our um, physicians being and getting the diagnosis. Uh, it's just one of those things where if they just took the first doctor they saw and, and said, okay, I'm just getting old and I just got to learn to live with it. And they, and they stopped pushing and looking for answers. Um, they never would have gone on treatment. So it's one of those things where, um, yeah, again, you just have to be your best advocate. Um, and, you know, if something doesn't seem right to you, because uh, you know your body better than anybody else, um, keep pushing, keep searching for answers. And, uh, you know, 
are, you know, Saad, perfect example. He went to multiple doctors over many months, multiple blood tests before he finally found someone who uh, knew how to, uh, who knew about testosterone deficiency, knew about hormone imbalances and got him on treatment. Um, and so, you know, hopefully people that are listening to this are not going to be in that position where, uh, you know, where they're not getting their testosterone levels checked when they're starting to have these symptoms. Um, but yeah, tell your friends, tell your, you know, I mean, it's funny because I have a, a group chat with my, my buddies from high school. And when I joined Hone, we all started talking about, you know, what Hone does and, and, and everyone started sharing their own stories and how they were actually tested for low testosterone because they were having, you know, you know, XYZ symptoms, whatever it is. And it was just really cool to actually have those kind of like open conversations about our health, which is not a typical thing. I would say, you know, a group <laughs> of uh, six guys on a texture that are normally talking about, but um, it was really cool. I, I, I think that that's, that was one of the things I really loved about um, what we were doing at Hone and really building that community is just having people be there for each other to talk about these things and um, yeah, help people feel like they're not alone in, in this journey. Um, you know, it, it's one of those, I remember meeting one of our, um, uh, our um, customers who told me that before he um, started on, uh, before he got, uh, became a customer of Hone and, and got on therapy, um, you know, he, he was a, uh, um, you know, father, husband, um, he would have to make up excuses to his wife, you know, at night, you know, to, you know, say, hey, I have a headache or I'm not feeling well because he couldn't get an erection. I mean, it's just, it was so sad to just, you know, think about being in that position where you have to lie to your loved one because of a health problem and, um, and not even, you know, knowing what's going on, you know, not even realizing that, um, Hey, this is actually a symptom of a much larger problem that, and, and once he got on treatment, he's like, I felt like I could be a husband and father again. And it's just one of those things that was such a powerful, you know, story to me was, was, um, just the kind of like transformation that, um, you know, uh, treatment like this can, can have. Um, and I just wish that it was something that was talked about much more openly. Um, and I would say, you know, it's, it's not just something that um, patients need to be aware of. It was actually doctors as well. I actually never learned about testosterone deficiency in medical school. Mm. Uh, so it wasn't something that was, was covered as part of our core uh, medical curricula. Um, and I hope that begins to change because now that we're recognizing how prevalent of an issue it is, it is something that I think that doctors of all specialties need to be aware of. Because you know, even if you're a psychiatrist, you may see someone come into your clinic with some of these symptoms and you're only thinking about mental illnesses and not thinking about, hey, is their hormones uh, might be driving some of their symptoms that they have, right? So again, I do think that this type of awareness doesn't apply just to, you know, patients, but also needs to apply to, to doctors as well. Um, so we can recognize when it's appropriate to refer them for someone for additional testing. Um, and it's one of those things where I think, uh, you know, Hone is trying to do um, a better job of getting that word out there to both to, to people, to patients and to the medical community. It's a, it's a big societal shift that has to happen. And that's why I was so excited to speak to you on this because it's not about, Oh, take TRT and get huge and jacked like eh, that, that fine. But that's not the coolest part of it. It's like, how can we just improve the lives of everybody by this possibly? And that's, that's really the most beautiful part stories like the one that you just mentioned and, and countless others I can only imagine. So, you know, one step at a time in conversations like this, I think it will, you know, continue to get out there and become more accepted and more just widely known and talked about within the medical profession and just within friend groups. And, uh, you know, step by step, we'll start to help more people. 
Jack, is there anything else yeah. that you wanted to discuss with me today before we wrap it up? I don't want to take up uh, too much more of your time. No, it's been a great conversation. I think um, you're doing a really great service here, getting uh, the word out. I think I, I encourage anyone who wants to learn more about it. Um, so Hone actually has a, a really robust content uh, um, section where we have a great team of um, writers and editors who work on different pieces uh, related to not just the testosterone and hormonal health, but also to aspects of um, just healthy lifestyle, you know, what, you know, nutrition and, um, you know, different type of exercise. Um, and, you know, I, I think is for anyone who's interested in learning more coming to our, our website and, and visiting uh, our content section, there's just a ton of great information there. Um, some of them that I, I help, you know, write or, you know, review or edit. Um, but a lot of it is just really, really great content that was put together by our team. Um, that's really, you know, targeted towards, um, men who are, um, you know, sort of in this phase of life, but are really trying to, to make, uh, try to improve their health and their wellness and well-being. Um, and, um, obviously your hormonal health is part of it, but it's, it's just a small part of it. Right. So, um, so that's why I think our content section is really great because they try to cover, um, all aspects of trying to get to that, um, to that optimal, uh, you know, lifestyle and, and health status. Um, but yeah, Thanks for having me, Dan. It was really great chatting with you um, and hope this is helpful for people that are listening. Yes, I'm, I'm sure it will be. And I appreciate you as well, Jack. I will put the the link to Hone in, in the description of this. Um, the The content page, was it called The Edge? I was looking at it just before, but I closed the tab and I don't have it open. It's called The Edge, right? That's right. Okay, so I'll put the link to that in the, in the show notes here um, as well. Jack, are you active on social media at all? Do you want people to reach out to you or just through the hone channels i have a twitter but i'm not the most uh, active person uh, on there um but there's probably maybe there's a good reason to get more active on there after all the news uh, twitter's made uh recently <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i am on twitter uh, at, at jack jang um you can also find me on uh linkedin uh you can just search for jack jang as well and um i think those are kind of the two my two socials that i'm most active on okay Perfect. I'll put all that in the show notes. Everyone can refer back. But this is definitely an episode that I think people should listen to carefully and please like share this one with all of your male friends and, and your female friends as well for their male counterparts, because this is a, just a conversation that needs to be out there. And we need to be comfortable having these conversations because of all the trickle down positive health benefits that are going to come with it. So check out uh, Hone Health. Um, again, links all in the show notes, Jack Jang on Twitter and LinkedIn. Jack, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, all the places, thumbs up, five-star rating, whatever, all those things, um, at Daniel Yoris on Instagram as well. And that's it. Go to the gym. Be a good person. We'll chat soon.